Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are wrapping up our series, First Things First, and this one's called Refined Awfulness. The question for you to get started with today is, what moment has brought you the most awe? Enjoy. We are finishing our series talking about this idea of first things first, that there are these things that we need to put in ourselves that is true about what it means to be human. There are things that are at our core. We started off by talking about what is good news, that it's literally baked into the fabric of the universe, that it's something that we share in. We talked about these deeper ideas of grace and peace. And today we're talking about the idea of the holy. And everyone in Los Angeles said, amen. Amen. All right, beautiful. Uh, I've had all kinds of moments of holiness, so to speak, which is really just this idea of awe and wonder, that I have been awe-filled, like all of you have at different points, that you have looked out at that sunset, or you've had that moment where you are falling in love, or you have watched that movie and something got you, or every season finale of Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Thank you. My children have provided that for me. But let's talk about a moment of awe and wonder that many of you have shared in with me, the Taylor Swift Reputation Stadium Tour. I got some snaps there. As Brittany likes to say, Beyonce light. So the salted the earth, I appreciate that. Um, And I'm not even joking about this. I have watched the Reputation Tour on Netflix many a times by myself at night. It's dark, I like to prepare myself for the magic that is coming. Uh, And some of it is, I am inspired by anybody who can hold a room like that. That if you can put the energy out there for 100,000 people and you can receive their energy back, that you can handle the laughter and the tears and the movement and the sheer excitement of 17-year-old girls and 30-plus-year-old men, then you (laughs) can handle the energy of the world, my friends. And there's really something about it for me that brings me awe. I can't tell you how many days where I'm having a bad day and I just say, hey Siri, play Reputation series. (laughs) It's who I am. And I wanna talk about today how we look for these awe-filled moments in the world. That what I believe is that what we experience holiness in Los Angeles in 2020, the ways that we experience it is when when we practice refining it and we refine the awe-filledness of what that actually looks like. So to talk about holy, we gotta talk about some things. We gotta talk about Haggias, and if we can talk about Haggias, then we're gonna talk about the book of Revelation. And if we can talk about the book of Revelation, then we're gonna talk about an unnatural Jesus. You see where I'm going there. And then if we can do that, then we're gonna talk about refined. If we can talk about what it means to be refined, then we'll give ourselves a little bit bigger perspective. And if we can do that, we'll talk about that story of a senior monk And if we can talk about the senior monk, then we'll be surprised. And if we can be surprised, well, the Dolly Parton challenge, my friends. I mean, come on. And if you don't know what that is, ask the millennial next to you. Uh, Then we're going to talk about being proactive. And then we'll end with some refined awfulness. So we have some work to do. The word hagios is the Greek word for holy. Say hagios with me. Sounds beautiful. Hagios is just simply this idea of, actually, the actual word is awful. But not awful like we think of awful. It's like older, more beautiful idea of being awe-filled. 
that you are just filled with the awe that is out there. The Hebrew idea of holy is this idea of otherness. It's this idea of purity, of being refined, but not like the weird purity pledge cards that you signed as an evangelical 20 years ago, right? This idea of that we're being refined into something more beautiful and that refining takes work that refining is going to cost you something, and that through the process of refining, through the process of being something other, that the otherness that you gain there fills you with awe in a different way. So when you think of the word holy, think of being awe-filled. Don't think of perfection. I say this in here a lot. One of the things that I am committed to doing on planet Earth is ending people's idea of talking about God through perfection lenses. Weird, I know. But the reason for that is that the idea of perfection and how we understand God is actually not a biblical idea. It is an idea that was given to us by Plato and through Greek thinking. And it's not helpful for you because you are not perfect. It's also not helpful for you because perfect is a concept that you can't actually grasp. And so it constantly makes you feel disconnected from the divine. And what if that's not the word? What if the divine is incredibly interested in you being awe-filled and you experiencing it in the messiness and the wonder and the good and the bad of life? And what if that is what allows you to connect with God, not these concepts that don't actually work for you in any way, shape, or form? And there's implications to those concepts, which we've gotten into a lot of different times. So when you hear holy today, don't think of this concept of perfect because you can't grab, there's nothing perfect in this world that you've ever grabbed onto. Be filled with this idea of awe and wonder. Even if you've had that moment with a beautiful baby, there's a bunch of them in back, by the way, and you look into their face and you say, they're perfect, they will poop on you. <laughs> they will challenge you one day. But that doesn't change the awe and the wonder that you have that this little human being is breathing in and breathing out, may have consciousness, right? There's all these incredible attributes that are happening here, and it's not because they're perfect. It's because they're filled with awe and wonder, and that's the thing that we hold on to. So follow along with me in the book of Revelation chapter 4. Holy, 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 filled with awe and filled with awe and filled with awe is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. That this part of the book of Revelation is one of my favorite parts of the book of Revelation as a whole. By the way, just like side note about the book of Revelation, it is the book of Revelation, not Revelations, for all those of you who grew up in Southern Baptist churches, right? <laughs> my brothers and sisters, we're going to talk about Revelations today and the Lord is coming back. No, none of that. Um, that's not what the book is about. It's not these like secret revelations that one day like Jesus is coming and the Antichrist is here. That's not the point of the book, actually. The point of the book is that a revelation has already happened. That revelation that God became human, that the Christ has already come into the world, is the revelation. And in chapters 4 and 5, the revelation that is taking place is that we are transported into this otherly world, the heavenly realms, whatever that means. And there's a declaration that is being had. That there's a story in chapter 4 that's taking place where 10,000 by 10,000 angels, that all of the heavenly realms are declaring with one another, look at the awe, look at the awe, look at the awe that is filled in this world, and it comes from God. Now that you can get behind. And it's saying this awe and wonder is already there, and this thing comes from God. And the surprise that happens in chapter 5 is this, is that the revelation is, 
Who in the heavens could take this scroll from this God, which is like fancy language of saying, who can declare the revelation that's already happened from God? And there's this story that as these heavenly beings are proclaiming the holiness of who God is, they're asking, is it the Lion of Judah? But the surprise then happens that it's this bloodied lamb that appears. It's saying that there's already this story of who God is, and this God is not this warmonger, hateful God. It wasn't a lion who's coming to conquer. The story of God is one of servanthood and humility and generosity. What a different way to see God. What a different way to see the universe that this is who God wants to be, that when the heavenly realms proclaim who God is, the awe and wonder that they have is at the sacrifice of who Jesus is. It's a different story than many of us grew up with, that we were terrified. God was actually awful in the scary way for many of us. We were terrified, and we were trying to do all of the things to please this God. And this is a story of saying, oh, what if it's actually quite the opposite? What if there's nothing to be terrified of here? What if there's just something naturally intrinsic to your human experience? What if it's just all about awe and wonder? What if you're pleasantly surprised by who this God is and how this God works in the world? And so there's all these stories that I think that tell us a little bit better idea of an unnatural Jesus. Let me tell you what I mean by that. In the natural world, so to speak, if somebody punches me, what do I do back to them? I slap them back, that's right. An unnatural way of doing things is that somebody hits you and you turn the other cheek. An unnatural way of doing things is that somebody kills you and you don't harm them back. An unnatural way of doing things is Jesus on the cross, that when all of the violence and sin and pain and death come upon him, that Jesus doesn't release any of that violence and pain and hurt and death back out into the world. That is an unnatural way of doing things. It is the opposite of what you would suppose. And this is what Jesus is constantly teaching us. Jesus is constantly using words like, yeah, you've heard it said over here, but what I'm really saying to you is this. What Jesus is saying to you is, you've heard that it's normal that you don't touch lepers, that you don't hang out with these whores, that you don't talk to people who are across the border, that the LGBTQ community, yada, 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 in each culture. But I say unto you, let me show you a different way. It's unnatural to the culture of that time. Jesus is so holy, so awe-filled, so sees the wonder in every human being that Jesus constantly takes us to the unnatural. How powerful is that? Jesus saying, this is what makes me holy, is that I can see humanity in every human being. I can see the good news in the whole thing. That's the narrative that you get into. And Jesus is constantly telling a bigger story about that with his life, with his death, with his his resurrection. And that's the story that we get to lean into, is that they're holy is just this idea for other. The other is doing the unnatural thing that there's a natural thing that we all want to participate in. And oftentimes that is hate or pain. As we say in here all of the time, hurt people hurt people. That when you're hurt, you want to offer more hurt in the world. The holy thing, the unnatural thing, to be filled with so much awe-filled wonder in your life is that when you're hurt, you don't release that pain back out, but instead you find transformation and then transformed people transform people. That does not come easily. That comes with a bunch of work of being refined in a very different way. That is the path of Jesus. 
That is the following that we do. That is the kind of holiness that we participate in. And it actually impacts your real life. It's just not a concept that you have moving around in here that doesn't do anything for you. The unnatural, the other, the awe-filled way of doing life. So I need a volunteer for this next part. Aaron, you uh, kind of come on up here, please. This is Aaron, everybody. Local firefighter. West Hollywood and... Uh, Fantastic guy. So in the process of, of working out, we know that the physical journey is just like the spiritual journey. Oftentimes we don't compare that. Sometimes in the spiritual journey, what we want to do is that we just want like God to like come in and like we like rub the magic lamp or there's like pixie dust and like everything changes. Many of us that God has been more like Santa Claus than God. That the spiritual journey is just like the physical journey. That it takes refining to get stronger. If I told some of you right now to come lift this 100-pound ball, you'd be like, no, right? And that's not a possibility. Over time, you could probably get there. That there's going to be some refining that would take place for you to be able to lift it. Aaron, would you please lift the lighter balls for us? That is probably better words we can use, but whatever. <laughs> and now do the 100-pound one. Do you like the one where you like lift it over your back and you throw it over? There you go. It's really heavy, though, right? Make sure you're not going to hit anybody. There you go. Yeah. Hey, everybody. That's good. Now, would you just pass that around, please? No, I, I love that you're willing to do it. But the idea is that that thing takes work. In order us to participate in this holiness, in this awe-filled wonder, we have to practice it. That you don't move from this level of, I literally, that was hard for me, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I just did it so confidently because I just saw him move a 100-pound ball, so I was like, oh, no, big deal. Oh, to throw out my back. Um, those are really dangerous right now. I'm going to move those out of the way. That it takes work. And that if we're going to participate in holiness, that we have to do the work of refining ourselves, that we have to deal with adversity. Part of the adversity and one of the ways that we refine ourselves, I think, is through perspective. The perspective takes us somewhere. That even in the story of the book of Revelation, it's all about this idea that someone gets transported to the heavenly realms. What if it's another way of saying this? Sometimes you need a 30,000-foot perspective of your situation. Sometimes for the book of Revelation, what was going on is that there was all these Christians who were under persecution. And so they wanted a certain kind of Jesus, and that certain kind of Jesus was this lion of Judah who was going to come in and fuck some people up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> there are children in the room. You did not hear that from your pastor. My pastor at church said on Sunday. <laughs> Hashtag going to hell. Oops. That we need a bigger perspective in the world. That we need some 30,000 views of how things are going. And that John is transported in these heavenly realms to see this, to say, yeah, you're going through this persecution over here, but what if there's this bigger story that's going on? And sometimes that we all encounter this when we have a little bit of time and space from some difficult situations in our life. That we need space to be separated. Sometimes that's healthy things. Sometimes the way that we get refined is that we get refined through our suffering or through the adversity that we go through. Sometimes the ways we do that is we do that through boundaries. You need to create separation from something else so that you can have a healthier perspective of what that thing is that's going on. Sometimes you need space and you invite other people into the process with you. You need a therapist, you need a spiritual director, you need community, you need other people to say, how can I help you have some distance from the thing that you've got going on? Sometimes you just need time. There's just no substitute for time in this world. 
that there are not quick and easy and trite answers to things like infertility, to divorce, to pain, to the hurts and traumas, to addiction of this world. I wish that there was. I wish that Jesus was simply the magic lamp in that moment, but that's not how it is. Now, you need people in your life who can stand at a bigger distance, who can give you that 30,000-foot view, even if you're not there. And hopefully where they're at is that they're going to help you get some of that perspective over time. There was this senior monk who was part of uh, the, the Tibetan family. I, don't, I forget what that's called. I blew that one right there. Great. This Tibetan monk. And this Tibetan monk uh, was captured with 130 other Tibetan monks when the Dalai Lama was being, um, trying to get captured by the Chinese government over 50 years ago. And these 130 monks were put to workforce camps in, in these Chinese camps, and, and what happened is they were some of the most difficult and horrible camps that you can imagine. That all of these monks were forced to do labor day in and day out without really clothes on, that even when it was freezing outside and their feet would literally begin to freeze off, they were forced to do this labor. And over 18 years, almost all of these monks died, but 20 of them. And one of the monks, when he survived, the Dalai Lama came and visited him and asked him about his time. And he would tell these just horrific stories of what was taking place. He would tell that there was a day that he was so hungry and so tired and worn out that another monk died next to him, and he thought, the only thing I can do right now is to eat the flesh of this monk to survive. And he couldn't do it because this, body's, this person's body was so frozen. And he just tells these traumatic stories of 18 years of what it's like to be in these Chinese work camps as a Tibetan monk and to have literally the humanity beat out of you. And he tells the Dalai Lama, and I almost got to a dangerous space and the Dalai Lama said, of course you were in such a dangerous space. Look at everything that you went through. He's like, no, you misunderstand me. I almost got to the most dangerous space at all that I almost forgot the humanity of my Chinese guards. That's the unnatural. That's otherness. That's off-filledness. That no one wishes that type of adversity on you. But when you can live in the midst of all of that pain and you believe I have a bigger perspective even of what's going on here, that even they who torture me, that the thing that would be the worst thing that could possibly happen to me is not death, but that I would see them as less than human. And that God is so holy, that God is so other, that God's perspective is so great, that God cannot help but look on every single human being and say, you are all filled and made. You are made in my image. I love when people want to challenge me, like, oh, Corey, it sounds like you're talking about a very universal God compared to what other kind? You want a God who literally sends people to hell and tortures them because they touched a boob when they were 13? <laughs> That's holy to you? There's nothing holy about that. That's punitive. This God is so other that God can hold the deep. People are like, you would be okay if Hitler was reconciled? Yes, even that, even the most horrible thing that you can imagine, isn't that what we see in the life of Jesus? As Colossians will say, all things will be reconciled. And if you do some deep Greek word study on all, it means all. <laughs> Yeah. Again, as opposed to what other kind of God do you want? And isn't that what you see time after time in the life of Jesus, that kind of holiness? That even if they come after you, don't lose your perspective of their humanity. That's what makes you awe-filled. 
Those are the places that God is taking us. That I think one of the things that we learn, not only from perspective, is that we're also open to surprise. That the story of Revelation is that there's the surprise that it wasn't the Lion of Judah, that it was this Lamb of God. That God constantly shows us another angle to the thing that we weren't quite ready for. You only get that with perspective. You only get that with time. And again, nobody wants that kind of adversity. No one says to themselves, I would love to be refined today. No, I would love a massage and a margarita. Amen, I love that. It was like, yes, Jesus, I'll take that in the Lord's name. Are we getting Mercedes as well? Because if we're just asking for things, I'm going for it. Anyways, I was about to do a whole Joel Osteen spit and whatever, it's fine. I got nothing but love for the guy, but it's great, whatever. Commercial break in my head, I'm back right here, right now. Woo! I love being open to surprise. Oftentimes what I find is that sometimes the people who've gone through the most and who've done it with real healing and real transformation and real maturity is they have the capacity for some of the greatest lightness that you've ever seen. That I learned so much from the Nelson Mandelas of the world who were in prison for 28 years in Robbins Island, who went in as an angry, angry man and came out as a hero of a nation for the way that he loved and reconciled. I learned so much from Jesus. I learned so much from the Gandhis of the world. I learned so much from the Dalai Lamas of the world because they were all these people who endured such tremendous adversity and they came out on the other side. I learned so much from the people in this community who've had to come out that you would have never imagined that you would have to look into the eyes of your own parents and wonder, do they like me? Do they love me? And it's not what you're wishing for your life, but you did it and you are only better for it even though it's still painful. I learned so much from the people in this world who've been brave enough to come on the stage and to share incredible stories. I don't understand that narrative, but we all gain something about one another's humanity when you're brave enough to share it. That we become more awe-filled, more othered. It's unnatural, but it leads us into a different kind of holiness in Los Angeles in 2020. That's what I'm interested in. And that don't be scared of that adversity. Don't be scared of that suffering. That is the thing I say easily on this stage, but you have to go live out. I get that. I've had my own adversity, my own suffering. We all do. That's what it means to be human. And as we go through that process of that death and that resurrection and that new life, I think there's a lightness that we gain, which brings me to the Dolly Parton challenge. You saw how it was going there. Uh, I want to show you a beautiful picture that literally I lost my mind with. First of all, if this doesn't make sense to you, again, Google hashtag Dolly Parton Challenge. Ask the millennial next to you. Um, and you know, you, you begin to like see this kind of thing happen and you're just like, oh man, I'm gonna see like 10,000 of these. But this was one of those like gifts of God moment where like I turn on my Instagram and this is what pops up. <laughs> and I cry in sheer joy. And part of the laughter of it is that comedy is tragedy. The real laughter is that if you know Jack and you know some real suffering that he's gone through, if you know real parts of his narrative, Exodus International is not a freaking joke. This has caused a lot of pain to a lot of people. And that there's somehow a lightness that we have to choose in the world, even in the most horrible things, to say that we're going to get past this thing, that we're going to choose a different type of surprise, that we're not going to pass on the same pain that happened to us. And that Jack offers us this beautiful 
mon what do you call this thing? I don't know, it's just a gift from God. Uh, <laughs> it's trying to provide some lightness, right, and some levity to the world even in the midst of pain. And I, and I don't know all the reasons for it, you guys can ask Jack later, but it was just something that, that caught me in this beautiful way of surprise. And I wanna be open to that kind of surprise all of the time. That we learn from perspective, that we learn when we're open to surprise, uh, that we learn from, get back to my slide, please. <laughs> Being proactive, I remembered that, you forgot. <laughs> I think one of the best things that we can do to participate in holiness is by being proactive in it. It's just like your personal health care. It's way more difficult to deal with your health when you have to react to it. That when you make decisions now that give you a healthier lifestyle, you can participate in it. You can choose gratitude every day. That's literally a choice that you can make that will give you more perspective and allow you to be open to surprise. You can proactively every day before you go to bed write down three things that brought you joy today. Those are things that you could do. You could intentionally go listen to a comedian. You could find yourself a good Enneagram 7 in the world and just have some positivity, my friends. Right? You could open a book. You could... Stare at a sunset. What are the things that you need to do in your life that every day will allow you to be more proactively off-filled in, in who you are as a human being? Because of this, adversity and suffering and pain are coming. It is a part of what it means to be human. And if you know that that's a fact, how do you participate in proactive, healthy things to work out muscles now in you so that you can endure in a very different way when that comes? That's what Jesus was doing. Jesus, I say this in here all of the time, Jesus never once in the Gospels asked, asked his followers to worship him, which is interesting to me. Jesus only asked them to follow him. Jesus said, come follow me and let me show you this off-filledness. Let me show you the adversity that's in this world. Let me so show you it that I'll even take this reality to a cross to show you a better way, to show you the way of suffering and pain in this world. That sometimes you may have to take on that pain, you may have to take on that death, but you never give it back out to other people. And in by doing so, you are transformed, and that is a different kind of resurrection, my friends. Thank you, I'll take that, yes. And that does not come easily. It comes proactively and it becomes we're participating in these bigger conversations of who God is. Brittany and I get to have this great conversation. Uh, we've had it a lot of different times and I really appreciate it. I appreciate the diversity of conversation and dialogue that we get almost on a daily basis. And one of the things I've talked about and I've struggled with over years in New Abbey, as I said, for me it's been incredibly painful that the very community that I founded and created is a type of community that honestly judges me the most. I'm not a victim for this, let me clarify that. I am a straight white male. That's not too positive in society at the moment. Um, I'm okay with that reality. But we have an incredibly progressive community. And I get that sometimes I, just me, this person, right? And I'm like charismatic, right? I'm a pastor, ruggedly good looking, like it's just, <laughs> It's too much. I get that stuff. stuff. But I get what I represent to a lot of different people. And I remember having this honest conversation with Brittany one day, and she gets to tell me, let me tell you what it's been like for me in the world of the church. 
One, I grew up in Aurora, Colorado, so that means that her family were the only black people in Aurora, Colorado, so there's that. And what was it like going to church as a minority in that community? I was always uncomfortable. What was it like being a woman in the evangelical church where we have equal authority, right? And how uncomfortable that was. What was it like coming out in an evangelical megachurch knowing that I have to choose my wife over maybe the job that I have? And it's that gift of practicing off-filledness with one another. It's that gift of otherness that we provide for each other in completely different situations at other times. Sometimes there's my like straight white maleness that gets to be a gift to her. And that what I believe about that is that we desperately need one another in this room to remind each other of the off-filledness of what it means to be human. That what I needed in that moment is not to get bitter or not to get anger, not to somehow to practice victimhood, but to be like, oh, I'm experiencing uncomfortableness for the first time in my life. And you've been experiencing this your entire life. I need perspective and experience here that I would have never gotten on my own. And that's a surprise that I can be open to. That's a grace that I can receive. And every time we choose to be vulnerable with other people, every time we choose community, every time we share our stories of diversity, which whoever you are, your story is diverse, it opens us up to more awe-filled experiences. It allows us to be more other. It pushes us to the capacity to never hate, to not have to hurt. We still might do those things, but we're gonna work some muscles in a different way that when you come into this place, it's not about getting asses and seats and looking forward. It's about proactively participating together in a deeper experience of this holy God about telling a bigger story in Los Angeles in 2020 because people desperately need that. So thank you that every time you are choosing this space, that you're choosing any space where you are literally walking into it with that openness, that you are choosing an awful experience that deeply resonates the holiness of who God is. Would you find those same three or four people around you and answer this question? How can you practice being holy or awe-filled? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.